Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Randomly Generated History Happy Club. Happy New Year! Happy New Year to you all. We made it. We made it to the year 2024. 2024, yes. Time travel will. Where, um, right. And this, this. Here's the thing. We told Will to ad lib and say something along the lines of like "Happy New Year," and we've we've now reached the limit of his ad lib. We did uh, say "New Year, New Me." <laughs> okay, so this week we are doing the year 1952, and therefore we're going to need some uh, three-letter words. Three-letter words. Three, three words. I from need people. to edit mine. Let's three words from can... people. I'll go first. Okay. I'm Ivy Mike. I'm Ivy Mike. Yep. Interesting. Hi, Ivy Mike. Hi. I'm Anna, by the way. We didn't do that part. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Will. (laughs) Jesus. New Year, New Me. (laughs) New Year, same podcast. (laughs) Will, what are your words? Hi, my name's Will, everyone. Hi. That's too many words. Um, My three words are Mm -hmm. the sound of silence. The sound of silence. Sound of silence. Sound of silence. Sound <laughs> the of sound silence. of. Sound of silence. Sound okay. of silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Um, <clears throat> my three words I forgot to do, so I'm just gonna say burn, baby, burn. Nice. <laughs> burn, baby, burn. Yeah. Okay, good. That could be anything. <laughs> good. Great. S- starting as we mean to go on for 2024. <laughs> Here we go. 1952. Extreme professionals. So today, I'm going to talk about the American composer, John Cage. John and Cage. John Cage. Mm. And his most famous... Brother Nicholas. Brother <laughs> Nicholas Cage. <laughs> who, of course, is, I think now, officially the world's greatest ever actor. 
Is yeah. that right? He got a yes, lot of awards? Yes, that is true. That is true. Um, so I'm going to talk about his most famous and controversial piece, okay. John, John Cage's, uh-huh. not Nicholas Cage's. Face off. And, <laughs> such a good film. Uh, and this, this piece is called Four Minutes, 33 Seconds. Oh, and was first performed in the year 1952, which oh. I hope is the year we're doing this. That week. is, yes. yeah, it is. Well year. done. Um, nice. I, I, I think I know this. So the f- a bit of John, on John Cage, first of all. So he was, he was quite a remarkable guy. He was a composer. He was a music theorist, an artist, a philosopher. And he was quite widely recognized for having a really innovative, avant-garde approach to music. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, he, and so he was bo- a guy was born on September 5th, 1912 in Los Angeles. And he's, his career is pretty broad, as I've said, but he was particularly noted for non-traditional sounds in his music. Um, like, for instance, um, startling a, a squirrel and, <laughs> oh. and recording the sound a startled squirrel makes. That's my ringtone. That is a good, good, good sonic uh, ambience there from the squirrels, yes. Yeah. Or, um, or listening to a hedgehog snoring. Oh, <laughs> beautiful. Um, and other, other, other types of music. You know who he would have loved? That guy who is obsessed with glands, who liked mm. making weird music stuff. Oh, my gosh, yes. From the Hedy yeah, Lamar. Yeah. yeah. He'd love a theremin. Was theremins around then? Oh, I think so. I think it's one of the ugliest instruments, by the way. I think they sound really cool. Is this the kind of laser? No, what's the? How does it work again? You move it electromagnetic. Star Star Trek, like. Yeah, it's like a two antenna kind of thing, and you move your hand, and it it interprets your position of your hand in the electromagnetic spectrum and makes a sound that sounds like garbage. I bet he had five of them. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Invented in 1928. So very good. It could be So his most famous piece is what I'm going to talk about today, and it's also his most controversial. Can you guess, or do you know why? Well, I think I do know this. I mean, I am going to, I think I can intuit it from your three word preview with Sound of Silence. So I think his most controversial piece was a very bad cover version of a Simon and Garfunkel song that was 15 years before the song was released (laughs) to the public. Am I right? Uh, You are correct. So it consists of. This is the, 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 the track, if you can call it such a thing, mm-hmm. four minutes, 33 seconds. It consists of um, a pianist coming to a piano okay. and not striking any keys for the duration of the piece, which is to say it consists of nothing at all. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there, there are three movements to the, uh, to the tune, uh, and the total length, of course, is four minutes and 33 seconds. But contrary to some misconceptions by some cynical types out there uh it is not simply supposed to be four minutes and 33 seconds of silence it actually isn't supposed to be the sound of silence so it's supposed to be uh, a challenge to kind of like the audience's perception of what music is okay um and like the sound the sound (laughs) of the actual kind of like quote music unquote yeah yeah so my perception of music is that it it, it contains some music yeah (laughs) yeah i I mean i wasn't ready to be challenged about my i felt solid in my conception of music (laughs) so there's a genre of music called noise core which is exactly as it sounds it's just noise and they take like all these electronic equipment pieces and just like push it to breaking point and it's just disgusting but i would say that's more musical than nothing i think Maybe maybe it's not. Well, God, he's got me thinking. Or is it? <laughs> yeah. Good question, John Cage. <laughs> so the piece is actually supposed to be, or the, the music in the piece is supposed to be the ambient sounds within the environment in which you're listening to the music. Okay. Now, did the pianist 
move his fingers over the keys and just not strike them? Or did he literally come out, sit on the bench and do nothing? He sits at the bench. He does nothing. Okay. That's incredible. Imagine that gig. You're a pianist. You've trained for years. You've gone to Juilliard. Yeah. You've been in Madison Square Garden. Yeah. You've done all the birthday parties. Yeah. And, and suddenly you get this gig and you're like, oh, what's my fee? I don't know. How much does a pianist get paid? Like 70 billion. 70 billion. Dollars. And, exactly and, right. And you just sit there and do nothing. Yeah. Exactly. Crazy. I could do that. Um, <laughs> you could. You absolutely could <laughs> if it do was that. hiring pianists, yeah. please let me know. <laughs> Specifically f- for cover versions of four minutes and 33 seconds. So, so the philosophy of the guy is that um, it's kind of influenced by his obsession with Zen Buddhism. Okay. And there's this idea that in any environment, there are sounds that could be considered musical. Okay. And could constitute music. And it's like challenging what is actually supposed to, you know, what, what actually is the focus of your attention, mm. you know, mm-hmm. during it. Um, and what, what I, you know, what frames musical sound and all this kind of thing. Anyway, it's obviously a load of bollocks. But the... Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so so it, it, specifically, he was interested in these ideas of like these, these quote, white paintings, unquote, by this artist called uh, Robert Rauschenberg, who appeared, uh, which appeared to be blank white spaces. Yeah. And 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 were, um, <laughs> but his, yeah, his, his, so 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 that's what it's all about. Is like what, what constitutes accidental sound and accidental music, um, and his piece is often viewed as a sort of form of meditation, inviting listeners to experience the sound of their environment in a new way. Amazing. So I'm on Amazing. the Wikipedia page for it right now, mm. and there is, uh, you can play the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a great. Recording. I've been playing it this whole time. <laughs> no, we can't. The copyright infringement. Don't play that. Oh, <laughs> we get a copyright. Strike. Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. But, but I mean, just listen to it. It's really beautiful. <laughs> Sorry, I'm ruining it. No, no, I'm oh, taking in the ambient noise uh, of your oh, laughter, oh, which is like music to me. There's other artists as well that have covered it, by the way. So Moby famously covered it. <laughs> I just, I just love this. I'm going to cover and it. Also Depeche Mode also covered yeah, it. Yeah, that tracks. And there was another artist, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Korn or something. And they did a song that was one minute of silence. And they said, hey, this is extremely derivative. And they said, yeah, well, what it took John Cage four minutes and 33 seconds to say, we said in one minute. So, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I think it was Korn, I'm not sure. That's deeply profound. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> this is why they hate us. Uh, so he's continued to have, um, like, through or throughout the rest, throughout the rest of his career, he continued to have like quite a big influence on um, the like the boundaries of music and sound, and using different ways to use non-standard instruments to try and create music. But like, they weren't all just standard flute. <laughs> left-handed flute yep amazing non-standard <laughs> very non-standard and <laughs> forward-facing um, flute <laughs> forward-facing flute yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's really hard to and, and 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 in fact a left-handed flute of course also an act of blasphemy <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not allowed in in, in orthodox churches yeah. <laughs> um so throughout his career he's had this sort of continued he or he had he, he died in 1992 but he had this like continued impact on musicians in this in this kind of part of the music industry so like he was in, interested in exploring yeah non-standard instruments mm. um and um exploring like different ways of creating sound and music and he's still in that world considered super influential and so it's yeah. not just the silence thing that he did yeah um yes. john cage john cage and so recently actually i know i remember a few years back there was some sort of like you know uh, 50th edition or 50th year edition or something where there was a five cd special release oh album God. containing this track plus others in this oeuvre Ugh. which included things like 
the hum of a you know electrical socket yeah and i don't know someone fucking crying silently yeah. or, or you know all this kind of just garbage but it was a special edition so you can you can get that on ebay if you want to i mean it's it's just the absolute rock bottom of the artistic world, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. What do you think? I, yeah, I, I'll like I'll go a pretty long way towards defending art, but there are some things that really just grate my cheese. Yeah, I mean, if I, I mean, it's the same with with you know, if you if you install an artwork and it's just a white square, yeah, that isn't. Yeah, I mean, there's, having a laugh. you can do lots of mental gymnastics yeah. um, observing something like that, but it's just not very impressive. The best thing is like the placard, which is like, this is a deep meditation exactly. on, the, on the, you know, run up to the Franco-Prussian war. And it's like, <laughs> fuck off it is. Like, uh, it's yeah. just a white canvas. So, so not to be the hippie in the room, I'm going to say that if I went into an art museum and I saw a blank canvas, I would argue that's better than most of the things there. <laughs> because <laughs> is it really art if it's not pictures of fruit a horse or a ship I was going to say what is <laughs> or a the, person what's the Jack Donaghy quote about art like we know what art is it's paintings of horses <laughs> pretty much yeah the, the only three appropriate subjects for a painting are horses ships with sails and men staring off into the distance <laughs> while holding swords I think that's pretty close yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't disagree <laughs> There you have it, John Cage and his four minutes and 33 seconds of silence. Who's next? I was, oh, sorry, I was giving a reverent four minute and 33 uh, <laughs> silence I'll break. leave that in there. Yeah. I'll leave that in there as a, as a little reprieve. I'm next. It's me. I'm Ivy Mike. So today we're revisiting... November 1952 mm. to explore the world's first hydrogen bomb test. Oh, codenamed Ivy Mike. Ivy, Ivy like the plant, or Ivy like an Ivy Y. Ivy Y. Okay. Ivy Mike. Um, so this is obviously a very significant escalation in nuclear capabilities. Up until now, we had only the A bombs, atomic bombs, silly, pithy. Stupid little toys, spud guns. And now we have the massive, impressive H-bombs instead. Much more powerful. <laughs> um, also, uh, lots of you know political tension at this time in the 50s. Mm. So um, let's go back. Let's talk about the scientific breakthrough, the Cold War anxieties, and the dynamic cultural shifts. Mm. So as we look back at the 50s, it's important to grasp the kind of zeitgeist of the era. So, obviously, there was this tension and transition of powers. But in popular culture, for example, we had the very famous Johnny Ray's Cry was topping the Billboard charts, captivating the emotive spirit of the time. Can you sing us a couple of bars I of that? can absolutely do that, <laughs> but I'm going to um, just read you this very cheery tune that was capturing the zeitgeist. If your sweetheart sends a letter of goodbye... It's no secret you'll, you'll feel better if you cry. Oh, I love that. You know, that's a real uh, takedown of toxic masculinity <laughs> 70 <laughs> years before that became a thing. It, it goes on in that vein. If your heartache seems to hang around too long and your blues keep getting bluer with each song, remember sunshine can be found behind a cloudy sky. So let your hair down and go on and cry. If you think that the A-bomb was weak... <laughs> And it is a bigger destruction you seek. <laughs> Go ahead and cry away. Plutonium will save you. And today. today. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, also on the silver screen at the time, uh, which won the Oscar for the best picture, was The Greatest Show on Earth, uh -huh. which was, a um, quote, a dazzling spectacle of life behind the scenes, 
with the Ringling Bros, Barnum and Bailey Circus, which is the best three ring circus in the land. So it's a film about a circus, uh, yep. which sounds like a great show. Anyway, also, Hollywood was in its golden era or silver era. It depends on which era. <laughs> bronze era. Do. It was, they, they, were, they were using <laughs> bronze <laughs> tools. Um, <laughs> they, yeah, they graduated from stone Humphrey and flint Bogart, tool. Catherine Hepburn, they were setting the standards with their... their Chisels. It, it makes uh, me really nervous when he does a preamble like this. Yeah. No, it's not all. Ernest Hemingway. Also, The Old Man of the Sea was published, which won him the Nobel Prize this year. And it's a great book. In 1952? I think it was 1952. It's not, not, Sounds it, about right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, also, setting the world stage, Eisenhower was president. Churchill was back in power again at the stage. He was about to get kicked out. And Stalin was still ensconced just about at this time he, he dies the next year and then Russian's favourite thing would happen which is a f- vodka-fueled three-way or troikia which is three rulers at the same time wow um, yeah that was this is be... an immense amount of context You're I know for... for the 50s about was a bomb. dense the 50s was dense okay. so you say Stalin was ensconed he was ensconced <laughs> in, in Stalin was ensconed in a lovely uh, maple glaze he's having afternoon tea wow. yeah biscuit <laughs> I had no idea that happened to him ultimately this is all to say that the US and Russia were pitched in this desperate ideological war um, this charged atmosphere uh, and deeply entrenched mutual sort of hatred of each other um, meant that this spurred the race for nuclear supremacy it's not just a matter of scientific achievement, but this critical aspect of national defense and global dominance. Who could build a better bomb, etc. Mm. The so, old man or the sea. The which, old man which or the sea. Which was America. <laughs> um, so is America the fish? I think America is the fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I think Russia is like not in the book. <laughs> <laughs> America like it, it. Spoiler alert. Ends up, it ends up a skeleton, uh, like <laughs> dead on the boat, but technically didn't lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. USA, <laughs> USA. So the Ivy Mike test was the brainchild of some of the most brilliant minds, obviously at the time. Edward Teller, uh, often called the father of the hydrogen bomb, was a figure of controversy and acclaim. Obviously, you know, it's 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 a double edged bomb that has been made. Um, so <laughs> sorry, what are the two edge? Do what are the two edge, edges of edge. the bomb? Yeah, good, good edge, bad, bad edge. Bad edge. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So his vision for the bomb was obviously far more powerful than a bomb uh, that was dropped in Japan, and he kind of propelled this project forward. This vision, and he had a team of gifted physicists, engineers, and experts all working in this utmost secrecy. It, you know, is really really tightly controlled. You've seen Oppenheimer think that kind of level, um, but less Hollywood, more real. Um, anyway, uh, it was, it's kind of hilarious, actually, given how tremendously easy it is to actually make a H-bomb. Uh, it's so easy, I'm actually going to actually tell you how to do it. Oh, boy. Um, so, first of all, you kind of need basically um, a, like a big bucket, <laughs> I guess. Okay. Like a big bucket. Not like, you know, those thin ones you get in like B&Q that are transparent and they break the whole time. You want to get like a real thick one, like, yeah. you know, like a horse bucket. You know, horses, they tend to have the thickest buckets. Yeah, I have a horse bucket. My horse has a bucket. Yeah, my horse bucket has a bucket. And then you just need like a run-of-the-mill standard, just, you know, basic uh, fission primary stage. Sure. Yeah. My horse has that as well, weirdly. White white label's fine, but you should push for a brand one if you can get it. Okay. Uh, But that is, of course, consisting of uranium-238, tritium, more uranium, and a vacuum. I'm like a Hoover? I don't well, know. Can, uh, can un- a Henry, un- Henry the Hoover work? <laughs> un- Wikipedia was not very clear on this. Okay. Um, so bung that all in the bucket, stick in a bit of polystyrene foam, apparently. Yep. Uh, for radiation channeling. And then a bit of pinch of uranium and a, a tamper or something. Yeah. And then some octane 95 fusion fuel. 
which is, of course, lithium-6 dioxide or deuteride. I'm and really close to having all of the required ingredients. Really? I don't know. Why did it take them so long? I know. I'm it's a incredible. little short on tritium. Did, um, when you grew up in, um, sorry, what was it, Canada, I'm going to say? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's pronounced Kansas. Sorry, can yeah. Kansas. Kansas. Yeah. Kansada. Um, did, did, they, um, did they have Blue Peter there? And are you aware of Blue Peter? I am only aware of Blue Peter because there is an epidemic among men of my age on their dating 21 uh, uh, thank you <laughs> on their dating profiles saying that they have a blue peter badge oh, and wow. i just kept seeing this and i was like what does that mean is there really yeah Could you put this on their on their profile yeah amazing and i looked it up and you all should be very proud of yourselves do you want to explain what it is for our american <laughs> yeah, yeah and do they have us in ireland by the way as well no not so no oh, we've so got a different culture so blue peter i think it's still running it's like it's a british children's tv program that's been running if it's still running which it probably is for i don't know like 70 or 80 years now oh. continuously and um it is uh, a kind of uh, a sh uh I don't know, what do you call a show where like not, they do inane things all the time, like the one show, like a, like a kids show or kind of like a just a, I don't know, like a like this kind of show that's on at like five p.m. in the evening in the UK for adults, and they just have different segments on random stuff. Wait, but it's a kids show, or but it's aimed at kids. It's, it's aimed, aimed at kids, and this okay. was, this used to be on at like four thirty in the afternoon. Yeah, it was probably once at the same home time. From school, you watch. Yeah, and so anyway, yeah, yeah, one yeah. of the things that so they used to have, they used to have a garden, and they used to have, always have a dog, and the dog, and they always used to go and like go and interview children doing interesting things across the country okay. dog uh, the dog the dog would, would. The dog would interview children doing interesting <laughs> things and but one of the things they always used to do was um they had uh, like a make it yourself at home segment which is a repeated segment <laughs> okay right okay. i was wondering how the h-bomb comes <laughs> in <laughs> yeah 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 something they would Every always used to do is blow up the dog with an h-bomb <laughs> and one of and, it, and um, of my gener in my generation the um the most famous and like virally successful and popular thing they did was a version of Tracy Island, like Thunderbirds. Yeah, okay. the, the Thunderbirds Island. I'm they, still, I'm lost. Do you know the Thunderbirds? Thunderbirds is another no. British institution. Oh my god, this is like uh, oh, I had no. This is layers. This I had no idea how, how deep this is in British culture. Yeah, so, uh, Thunderbirds is a puppeteering show for kids. <laughs> Where okay. puppets were like spies. Yeah. But they were secret spies and they cool. had gadgets and they had like special craft. Like, and the Thunderbird 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And they had like Thunderbirds are go. Like, one was it so Thunderbird, one was a space. No, we was don't need to go into this. Yeah, let's. Uh, I'm just going to. Okay. <laughs> Thunderbirds got it. were like a kids, but they were puppets. Yeah. And they had American so accents. Blue Peter made a Thunderbird. Blue Peter taught lots, a generation of school children how to create an incredibly complex. <laughs> Um, international spy station in their homes um, wow. over the course of a summer and everyone used to send away for the packs. I think we could do a similar thing for a fusion Ooh. bomb. <laughs> yeah, we definitely could. The first issue is 99 cents and then the next one is 4.5 trillion. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right before we started recording when we were talking about our New Year's resolutions mm. for the podcast, yes. uh, branching into merch was one oh, of yeah, them. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, you know, T-shirts, hats, all that nonsense. But really, if we did a randomly generated history club branded fusion bomb kit yes that would be so successful it would fly off the shelves <laughs> it really would yeah and i think global Sorry, they won't fly because the ballistics is actually very complicated okay. be next year okay yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we'll probably have to do a collab with raytheon for, yeah, the, for the hypersonics uh, missile yeah. yeah and global instability is only rising so what could be safer than 
total mutual assured destruction, not yeah. just between nation states, but between every individual. Yeah. You know, everyone is mutually deterring everyone. Yeah, the only you know? way exactly. to deter a bad guy with a bomb is a good guy with a bomb. Is everyone, awesome. everyone is with everyone a bomb. We should have a bomb in a bomb. every school. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I've completely lost the run of this. Anyway... The chosen site for this historic test was Eninwatak Atoll, which was a remote location in the Pacific Ocean, which is actually about 40 coral atolls in a circle. And from space, it kind of looks like a sandy ringworm. <laughs> but oh. it's, it's, it's very pretty, actually, in spite of that. Um, but it's no higher than five metres off the sea. So quite a low, you know, scrap of nothing. And it's one of the most Western atolls in the whole thing. You know, the Bikini Atoll, you might have heard as well, the Bikini Island test and stuff there. So the pre- preparation for the test was undertaken. is really complex and, you know, lots of precision engineering and stuff. Um, the device, uh, they built a massive structure, which was like anything, unlike anything previously built, um, in order to house the detonation cha- chamber. And so was, when you say unlike anything previously built, it was, I mean, it was like an 18-story dock or something. It was like... <laughs> It was I like, mean, arguably, that's pretty similar to the Trojan horse, so, so that's not even... True. It doesn't even fit the brief. It combined an extremely complex, intricate engineering and logistical <laughs> challenges going across all that way, so they had to build these so crazy... It was a duck. Yeah, it was a big duck. Big, <laughs> big, big wooden duck. Um, <laughs> but uh, they also built what was called a Runit Dome, R-U-N-I-T Dome, which was to store the radioactive soil and debris post-test. Um, good news. Due to the shoddy workmanship of the 50s and poor understandings of basic safety, the dome is eroding and could be breached by a typhoon any day, unleashing radioactive material. Cool. Really? Atoll. Yes. Cool. Well, so they came in later and built this dome over the top no, of the no, like, ground they, zero? No, no, or? they built the dome purpose to run it as a little bit, is in a different atoll nearby that they built to house it and sh- the idea was to ship it there. Oh, I see. But even better news, we're actually not going to suffer from that because the contents of the lagoon that's contained within this circular atoll is actually more radioactive than anything that it contains in this run it Oh, cool. So, you know, whatever. No point spending money on that. Um, Oh, oh, also, there's huge subsistence happening in that place. And one of the areas that used to be above surface is now 1,400 metres below the surface. So, like... 1,400 uh, meters below. Yeah, it's, and it's not due to wow. like anything other than like, like just, Volcanic, just subsistence, like basically. Oh, okay. Yeah, just subsistence. And it just goes to show like choose your places where you want to test bombs really carefully. Yeah. Um, and don't build wooden ducks there, I guess. Um, anyway, as the test date Wise approached, words. the wor- world was totally unaware of what was about to unfold. 
And some people were quite optimistic about the future returning to a more stable status quo of peacetime and cooperation. For example, the Helsinki Olympics had just concluded a few months earlier, where US won 76 medals and USSR won 71. Ha, suck it. <laughs> well, that kind of attitude is going to spur the Cold War on for sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's sort of there's a bit of hopefulness in, and then obviously kaboom, that went up. But speaking of Helsinki Olympics, uh, I've got a couple of quiz questions for you. Okay. The 100 meter dash in the men's, what time was it done in? In 1954. 1950, 1952. Uh, two, sorry. Two, yeah. Probably like 15 or 16 seconds. Because mm-hmm. uh, now it's about nine or 10, right? It's like nine and point five yeah, or something. So yeah. Yeah. I reckon, yeah, I reckon I'm going to say. Um, I'll say I'll say fourteen seconds. Six minutes and thirty-two seconds with a cigarette break. No, it was. A- <laughs> oh my god! I was like, hang on. <laughs> even I could. Even I no, could run hundred meters in six minutes. So I actually thought, like you, that it would be very, very, very slow or something It'd be yeah. crazy. But actually, no, it was ten seconds and ten point four seconds. Wow. So okay. actually, still okay. quite fast. Like cool. still pretty, pretty rapid. But humans actually. have still improved that a lot. Oh, they the have. Meantime. They have. But it's not like it's not. It's not like I thought it'd be a lethargic, like little brisk jog with people with like you know yeah. tight shorts and like curled sure. uh, curled mustaches or whatever. Anyway, for bonus points, this is for all the um, ducks. Um, can you name the top three countries at dressage this year? This in nineteen fifty-two. Yeah. Hang on, I mean, sorry, sorry. Can I just? I, I, I. Sometimes I, I, I don't always pay close attention. Yeah. But oh no, we're way off the rails. We're talking about nineteen fifty-two, and dressage happened in the Olympics, and there's three countries that came gold, silver, and bronze, and which. And I'm but you were talking about the hydrogen bomb. Yeah, I know, but this yeah. is already. This well, but remember, he also talked about the old man in the sea. He talked about that song about <laughs> I am crying. Highlighting the juxtaposition unhinged. between the peaceful horse dancing event and the big bomb that's about to go off. Historically, anyway. the countries that are the best at equestrian events, mm-hmm. of which dressage is one, yes. would be the UK or yeah. Great Britain. Is that the Olympic? Yeah. yeah. Great Britain. The Netherlands. Yeah. France? I would say, yeah, like Belgium, Luxembourg. You're right, but it is Sweden, Denmark and France this year. Sweden, Sweden Denmark, kind of swept all the horsey events, except for jumping, bizarrely, this year. Yeah, interesting. Um, and in- which England did very That's well. That's because their horses TV. would have been less jet-lagged because they only yeah, had to get to Helsinki. True. That is very true. Oh, that is true. Yeah. Anyway, 1952, <laughs> November 1st, Ivy Mike was detonated and it sent this shockwave, literally and figuratively, uh, of, of awe, fear and nuclear debris. Um, the mushroom cloud, which is the largest that's ever been seen up until that point, rose over 100,000 feet into the Pacific air, or approximately 50,000 two-foot snakes, um, which was a stark reminder of the new power humanity hun- had unlocked. Um, and this yeah, 50,000 two-foot snakes <laughs> is a terrifying power. Terrifying. And how are they? They're all balancing. They're all organized <laughs> themselves. Yeah. Well, they had yeah. to, like, string them, I guess. You oh, know, okay. um, and uh, the long floss, and they just made them eat something, I guess, and it, you know, kind of whatever. Um, anyway, uh, this test ushered in the age of th- th- thermonuclear weapons, which is a period defined by its potential for unparalleled destruction up until this point. And an age we've been enjoying ever since. <laughs> ever since we've been basking in the warm thermonuclear uh, I glow. prefer to think of it as the age of Swedish dressage supremacy. <laughs> so uh, soon after this, Queen Elizabeth was uh, coronated. Um, so this is setting the time. You know, the, the, the legacy of Ivy Mike uh, is quite complex, I guess you can say. It's obviously a remarkable scientific achievement, but it's also an escalation in the arms race and more proliferation of more powerful weapons, etc. And uh, yeah, so overall, complex. But in summary, 
1950s was this great time of innovation. 1952 was this landmark event that's probably going to stand out in the annals of history as a significant amount, um, not least of all for great music uh, and films about circuses, but also for H-bombs. Say, I really didn't know how you were going to land this plane. <laughs> and I'm, we did, and everyone, I'm, I'm still not quite convinced you've done it. Everyone survived. Please disembark. <laughs> okay. Well, I was going to talk about the Swedish winning dressage at the 1952 <laughs> Olympics. So let me just rejigger real quickly. Uh, no, as Ant said... Uh, 1952 pretty pivotal year he mentioned that that's the year queen elizabeth took the throne and it's also pretty pivotal in terms of the decline of the british empire no (laughs) (laughs) yes which i know you refuse to recognize so will i'm gonna tell a fictional story for your entertainment no i just I, i i just i just don't agree with the framing of decline i just think it's this is a blip Oh, yeah, it's just, it's just, yeah. oh, okay. You know? Yeah, the sun shall set again. It's a good time to invest <laughs> by love. Yeah. Also, just point, uh, Queen Elizabeth was in 53. So, That's right. Uh, summer 53. The yeah. king died in 52 and she was yeah. coronated So don't at me, okay? Yeah, fair enough. Good correction. Queen, king. And <laughs> the old man in the sea was released in 52, won the Pulitzer in 53, won the Nobel in 54. But captured our hearts ever since. Yeah, exactly terrible book uh okay do you not like it uh i hemingway is not my favorite interesting i recognize the craft the style is that's not your favorite yeah yeah i like that it's short for everyone yeah it's true it's It's famously short not just the overall (laughs) length but even the but the sentences yeah yeah it's very pithy yeah i like i get it but i don't like it fair okay Good. First edition of our, of our book club complete. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know what you think in the, in the comments. Right. right hang on. In do the, we have comments? In the podcast comments. In the, in the podcast comments. Yeah, leave us a review where you talk about how you like Actually, you know what? If you join our Patreon, this is actually true. Usually what you don't plug Patreon until the end. But if you join our Patreon, there's now like a, um, a community chat room thing. We, um, we, can, we, can, we can all discuss the books. Oh my it. God, I would love that. Yeah, I'm great. It, it exists. dying to hear from. Uh, this could be the first topic. Really? Okay, great. Right, great. So Old Man in the Sea. Good? Bad? Great. Anyway, British Empire is about to go into its blip, um, by which I mean it's falling apart. There's uh, Kenya's not going well in 1952, uh, but I'm going to focus on Egypt. So the British occupied Egypt starting in 1882, and then in 1922 they recognized Egypt's independence, but they were still the de facto rulers of the whole place. It's like a puppet monarchy, basically. Uh, and for the British, it was essential that they re- remained in con- in control of the Suez Canal. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which is famously a great place for boats to get stuck. <laughs> and so after World War II, the British occupation zone was basically just the canal, just the canal zone. But they were still kind of running the show. Uh, but there started to be some real Egyptian nationalist and revolutionary movements. And they wanted the British out. Many of these were led by guerrilla groups called Fedayeen, who would attack British forces in Egypt mm-hmm. using irregular warfare tactics like sabotage and raids. Crab walking. 
crab walking. They loved a crab walk, which, you know. It's pretty regular. It's very irregular. You see a bunch of dudes coming at you crab walking. You don't think, like, I'm about yeah. to get attacked. Yeah, no, they're going to attack someone 90 degrees. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that exactly. Way. It's sort of like, wow, what an interesting modern death. Uh, so, yep, crab walking, exactly. Um, the government of Egypt were completely thrown by the crab walkers, uh, and King Farouk I did not support them, but uh, they were hugely popular with the people. Uh, and in late 1951 and early 1952, the British military carried out numerous anti fedayeen operations in the canal zone, including several in the city of Ismailia, which was under British control. And in January 1952, Fedayeen forces killed two British soldiers and a nun, which is, what? you know, just feels harsh. Um, it's and, all harsh. Yeah. It's all harsh, yeah. But it's, you know, a nun? Why a nun? In their defense, okay. if you weren't used to seeing nuns, and then suddenly there was one in the battlefield, you'd focus attention on that nun. Yeah. That looks like the, the Sith leader. <laughs> That's true. They do have an interesting, <laughs> interesting head, headdress, headpiece. Uh, anyway, so on the 25th of January, the British retaliated. And the British had a force of 7,000 soldiers and six tanks, which they used to surround a building. Those are really packed tanks. That had, <laughs> yeah, they were really crammed in there. Uh, and they surrounded a building full of Egyptian auxiliary policemen who were sheltering some of the Fedayeen in the building. So 7,000 British soldiers and about seven or 800 Egyptian policemen. Um, so pretty fair fight. I mean, I think it's, if you find yourself in a fair fight, militarily speaking, you've done, you've done bad balling. Yeah. It yeah. Should never be fair. No, that's, that's like um, safe ratio. Safe say. ratio. Yeah. 10 to one. Yeah. Uh, well, the Egyptians held out for about two hours, which is, you know, against Laudable. a yeah, lot of yeah, tanks yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is something. Uh, eventually, they ran out of ammo and the British captured the building. Uh, and there were some casualties on both sides, a few more on the Egyptian side. Uh, but the next morning, the 26th of Jan, the news of this standoff had spread throughout Egypt and Egyptians started to take to the streets in Cairo. Uh, at some point in the afternoon, a large fire broke out and it swept incredibly quickly throughout downtown Cairo. And the focus of the fire, I, as I read that, can a fire have a focus? The epicenter? Yeah. Starting point? Yeah. The fires Fulcrum? were concentrated mm. in on British-owned businesses. Uh, ah, okay. fish and chip shops. Yeah, fish and chip shops. Jelly deal shops. <laughs> Boot polish. You couldn't find a jellied eel in Cairo after this day. That JD Sports. JD Sports. Yeah. <laughs> B and Q. Greg's. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. You couldn't. Nothing worse than a burnt Greg's. For a sausage roll fire. Um, yeah. The first thing that people burned was the Casino Opera Entertainment Club, which you performed at. Did Casino you? I opera. have. Yeah. I had a residency there for four years. Yeah. Four successive summers. Yeah. That's right. Because you were on the on the forward facing flute. Yeah, Forward-facing well, well, flute. Yeah, I, I was on the forward-facing mm -hmm. flute, and um, and then j just fr frankly, just an old-fashioned crooner display. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> crooning. Good. Well, they didn't like your show, so they burned down your club. <laughs> uh, hotels, the automobile club, a Barclays bank, uh, movie theaters, nightclubs. 
They also, the arsonists also focus on venues that the king frequented, uh, which is great. So he went to a lot of nightclubs and uh, restaurants. Uh, like getting five Jaeger bombs for a tenner. King Farouk loved happy hour. <laughs> Oh, I see. King Farouk, not King George. Not King George. No, King Farouk. Okay. Yeah. I was going to make a point about how frequently do you have to go to a place to frequent it. <laughs> yeah, <but> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Was he just yeah. on the table shouting at Mr. Brightside? Yeah. Who was, and at that, at that point, King George would have been like quite ill, right? Ex- yes, I would yeah. have thought. Yeah. So All like, the partying, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there was a ton of looting and theft, as happens in these things, and a curious absence of the Egyptian army. The fire started in the early afternoon, but the army didn't arrive until sunset when most Hmm. of the damage was already done. See, curious. Uh, The fire eventually became known as Black Saturday. About 300 shops were destroyed at a cost of 3.4 million pounds of damage. Um, That is. And I was I was like reading about the types of shops that were destroyed. And there's some numbers here, which makes it sound like Cairo was a really cool place to be. So it was like 13 hotels, 40 movie theaters, 73 coffee houses, 92 bars, 16 social clubs, and 10 firearms shops. So it's just like wild. (laughs) That's a pretty... Yeah. Um, And they all got burnt. They all got burnt. Wowee. Yeah, 300 shops. And 26 people died which was also seen as sort of curiously low given how widespread the destruction was. So because of the combination of these things, there are obviously some conspiracy theories at play here about who started the fires and what the point was. Maybe some insurance things. It's probably a combination of all these things. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems clear that there were some organized elements at play. This wasn't just spontaneous arson. I mean, the fact that, exclusively British businesses and Western businesses were targeted. Uh, There was a real speed and precision to how the fires were started. They had tools to force open closed doors. They used acetylene stoves to melt steel barriers on windows. Acetylene torches don't melt steel barriers. Well, apparently they do in 1952. Uh, They used cars to execute the plan quickly. They chose Saturday afternoon for the attack because Mm -hmm. offices and stores were closed on the weekends and the movie theaters would be in the post-matinee, pre-evening show lull. So people knew what they were doing. But who were they? Mole. Soviet Union. Moles. Soviet Union. Moles. I think they're communist moles. Or uh, or like inside. Communist ground dwelling rodents. (laughs) Subterranean mammals. I won't specify which animal it is. Okay, great. But just moles. Yeah. Um, Soviets are not typically cited as possible perpetrators. They kind of hadn't gotten involved in Egypt yet. They would soon after. Uh, some people believe that King Farouk masterminded the whole thing to get rid of his prime minister, who he didn't like, and whose policies were more uh, sympathetic to the revolutionary element. Um, some implicated the Muslim Brotherhood or the Egyptian Socialist Party. And of course, some people believe the British were behind it all to punish the Egyptian prime minister for unilaterally repealing the Anglo-Egyptian Alliance Treaty. And there were many investigations, but no culprits were ever found or charged, so the whole thing remains a bit shrouded in mystery. 
But in the aftermath, the king, Farouk, was more unpopular than ever, and there was a group of officers who had already been planning to launch a coup against him, but the fire convinced them to actually bring forward that date. Mm. Uh, and in July 1952, two guys you've probably heard of, Mohammed Naguib and Gamal Abdel Nasser, led the successful coup to depose King Farouk and launch the Egyptian Revolution. So there you go. That's crazy. I didn't know that that's so many fires. A lot of fires. Big Black Saturday. Big fire. But 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 like I guess it didn't suit the king in the end, really, did it? Yeah, no. Didn't. He was he really saw the writing on the wall, and there was just this huge wave of support for a democratic yeah, yeah, yeah. government and the end of the monarchy. I blame the communist rodents. <laughs> you always do. For sure. Thank you for joining us. That's everything you would ever need to know about the year 1952. Yes. And if you heard any drilling, that was the sound of the communist rodents had just started <laughs> right on cue. Um, Someone so has given that. them power tools. Which I'll try is and terrifying. edit it out of post, but I can't guarantee you. So um, if it's not there and I said all this, just imagine a really annoying humming noise. Mm. <laughs> uh, like a, mm, yeah. Mm. Anyway. Uh, yes, all that's left to do is boot up the random number generator. But as this is a new year, your New Year's resolution could be, should be, and I would argue legally must be. <laughs> Please tell your friends. Tell your friends. Join our Patreon. Do all the good things. Like, rate, subscribe, comment, etc. We've got massive plans this year in 2024. We've got some very exciting projects on the go. We've got some really cool things up our sleeves. But it's only powered by your ability to do our bidding. <laughs> well said. But yes, if you would like to do us a New Year's favour as your New Year's resolution, yeah, you, you could go to our Patreon to support us. Yeah. Um, random, hang on, patreon.com slash randomlyhistory. Yes. And for the price of a coffee. A, a cup, a, not even a coffee in today's, today's inflationary a, world. A small... A, a, a small... A symbol of... A, a singular coffee bean. A singular coffee bean. You can help support this podcast and make it continue to be whatever, whatever, it, whatever, 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 whatever this was. This was the most unhinged. Actually, don't don't go. On this Patreon. episode was the least hinged. We've got the greasiest hinges this episode. Yeah. Anyway, Will, can you please boot up the random number generator and get us the next year? I can. And as a reminder, we set the random number generator to pick a year between 1000 BCE and 2000 CE, and the next year is <laughs> uh, one. 124. One, 124. Okay. Rome? <laughs> uh, no. I actually think, I'm looking back we at the data. We have not done that before. We? No, we haven't done that before. I was going to say, have we done anything in the second century? But we have. We did 177, of course. This, is, this could be quite a tough one to do, actually. 124. This could be very tough. There are very few... Um, centuries left that we haven't done okay okay well one two four uh, i look forward to next time yeah uh, w whatever we make up i mean research for that <laughs> uh, bye 124 bye see you then bye
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 